the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you must make some determinations, then determine not to cause anybody to stumble. If you're so inclined to making judgments, then judge yourself. Determine this. The great principle of love is that it doesn't use its liberty without first considering how it will affect others. I hope you see that. It doesn't flaunt its liberty. It doesn't say, I have liberty, therefore I'm going to do whatever I want because God says I'm free. No, love doesn't do that. Love says, how will it affect someone else? If Jesus sets us free, then we are free indeed. Yet, Paul needed to remind the Corinthian believers that love does not seek its own. Many times we feel like correcting those who feel differently about non-essentials, such as hair or makeup or music style. But not only should we not judge those brothers and sisters, we actually need to restrain the exercise of our own liberty in Christ and be sensitive to others who might not feel that same freedom. Our subject today on Verse by Verse is Christian Liberty. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're starting a new series today, and it will be a short series, only three broadcasts, taken from a message Pastor Steve gave from Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. While it's a brief series, it deals with an important subject. In some circles, Christian maturity and morality are measured by adherence to a clearly defined list of do's and don'ts. But that's not the yardstick Jesus uses. In fact, it's been wisely observed that if moral behavior was simply following the rules, we could program a computer to be moral. So let's grab our Bibles now and see what we can learn about balancing our freedom in Christ against our need to be sensitive and loving for other Christians who might have different views on Christian behavior. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verses 13 through 23, will balance out what we studied last week. And if you weren't here last week, you need to get the tape, or you might uh, wonder where we're coming from. Romans 14. And if you were here, I might add, last week, you have to listen carefully this week so that you won't get the wrong idea about last week. Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore... Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For because of food, your brother is hurt, and you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died." Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. In modern day Christian circles, it is a sad thing to say, but some of the hottest debates over the years have been such items as this. What activities can we do on Sunday? Is it right to go shopping on Sunday? Is it right to go sailing your boat on Sunday or playing golf on Sunday? Is it right for women to wear cosmetics? How about movies? How about dancing? How about card playing? Is that, is that okay for a Christian? How about mixed bathing, that is, men and women swimming together? How about smoking? How about the use of wine or even the use of coffee? That's been the big items, quite frankly, in many Christian circles. But I want you to know that the Bible doesn't forbid these activities. It doesn't necessarily endorse them either, but it doesn't forbid them. Now, some people say, wait a minute, what about the Sabbath? What about in the Old Testament, the Sabbath couldn't do this? That's part of the legal system that's gone. The Bible never says that you, couldn't, you can't go shopping on Sunday. You'll not find one passage in the Bible to say anything about that. How about cosmetics? Well, doesn't 1 Peter 3 speak about that? No, no it doesn't. 1 Peter 3 speaks about a godly woman focusing on, on inward appearance as opposed to outward appearance. It's just a broad general statement. How about movies? It's interesting to me to notice that uh, some of the movies people were, were damning years ago, they're watching on television today. How about dancing? Well, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 6.14, David danced before the Lord. How about mixed bathing? I can't find anything in my Bible about that. It's not because I have a different version either. How about wine? Well, in Bible times, wine was diluted by water and they drank it. It seems that every generation of Christians has its own set of taboos, things that are just not done. Dr. Barnhouse in 1928 was speaking at a Bible conference at Montrose, Pennsylvania. There were about 200 young people there and a few older people. And this is what he says in his own, in his own words. He said, one day two old ladies complained that some of the girls were not wearing stockings. These ladies wanted me to rebuke them. Looking them straight in the eye, I said, the Virgin Mary never wore stockings. They gasped and said, she didn't? I answered, in Mary's time, stockings were unknown. So far as we know, they were first worn by prostitutes in Italy in the 15th century when the Renaissance began. Later, a lady of the nobility scandalized the people by wearing stockings at a court ball. Before long, everyone in the upper classes was wearing stockings, and by Queen Victoria's time, stockings had become a badge of the prude. He writes, these ladies who were holdovers from the Victorian epic had no more to say. I did not rebuke the girls for wearing stockings. A year or two afterward, most girls in the United States were going without stockings in the summer, and nobody thought anything about it. That's the way these things are. They, they live for a few years, and then they seem to pass away. 
John MacArthur tells the story that uh, his dad pastored a church in Philadelphia for a while, and, and John says that growing up, all he could hear, not, just, not from his dad, but other meetings and things, was that you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't smoke. And that's all that seemed to be piped into him. Then he went to school in the South. And he said in the South, what was interesting to him is that everybody had a tobacco patch. And he said he actually saw uh, pastors who would smoke their cigarettes outside before the church and then come into the church and preach against mixed bathing. You see, these things are culturally, uh, cultural issues. These things are, are taboos that we pick up in our culture. Well, the church at Rome also had its own unique culture, and the church at Rome also had its own unique problems and taboos. There were some members there who were rather rigid. And the issue there was not card playing or movies or stockings or mixed bathing or tobacco. The issue there was food and days. And this is what we studied last week. If you look at verse 2, you'll see, you'll see what Paul is talking about. He says, One man has faith that he may eat all things. But he who is weak eats vegetables only. There were some people there who came out of that culture, probably Jewish people, who said, we don't know if this is kosher meat. We don't know if we could eat this. And so they didn't. There were others, probably Gentiles, who came out of a background that they didn't care about kosher foods. And they said, that's nonsense. What difference does it make if it's kosher or not? You're free in Christ. We're not under the Old Testament legal system. And so they went ahead and they ate. But there was another issue, and that's found in verse 5. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. The issue, once again, was probably a Jewish-Gentile issue. And the Jewish person said, look, I, I've been raised in a system that says the Sabbath is the day of worship. The Sabbath is special. And he was right. He was raised that way. But now he's in Christ. Colossians says those, those things have passed away. The Old Testament law and the legal system were not under those, those types of rules anymore. And the Gentile came along, and now he's saved, and he didn't have any special day in his, in his life. He was a pagan every day of the week. And so he said that's nonsense to have one day put above another. And that was the issue there. Paul identifies the conflict in Romans by, by using the terms weak brother and strong brother. But I, wanna, I just want to clarify that. And maybe I didn't clarify it enough last week. I want you to listen. The weak brother is not weak in the sense of being a poor Christian. I don't want people to be insulted by that. There are areas that I'm weak in. That doesn't mean I'm a poor Christian. It simply means that we are weak in conscience towards our liberty in Christ. That's all it means. It does not mean this person is carnal. It does not mean this person is in sin. It simply means that in the area of our liberty, there is a weakness there. We have not grasped and been fully persuaded that we are totally free in Christ to do anything that the Bible doesn't say we can't do. And the strong brother is not necessarily spiritual. He is strong only in the sense that his conscience is strong towards his freedom. So Paul is not using weak and strong in the sense of, of a strong brother who is spiritual and a weak Christian who is unspiritual. That's not how he's using it. And there are some people that, that uh, will wonder, well, if we have certain standards, are we weak? Not necessarily. 
Not necessarily. You may choose to, to, to refrain from certain things because you choose to refrain from certain things. As long as you understand that you have the freedom to do those things, if the Bible doesn't condemn it, that's all right. That's all right. We're not trying to put people in a little category here. What we're saying is that the Word of God says that there, at the church at Rome there were weak brethren who didn't know they were free in Christ and could not eat ham and could not celebrate every day alike. And there were certain strong brethren who knew that they were free and their conscience did not condemn them in the eating of, of meat and in the worshiping of the Lord every day of the week and not just one special day. And it's very interesting that Paul doesn't try to straighten out the weaker brethren on his freedom. I find that fascinating. Paul does not do that. Though theologically, we know from the rest of the Word of God that he's theologically incorrect in the sense that he is free. He just doesn't know it. But Paul doesn't try to straighten him out. But rather he focuses on how these two groups can get along together while still disagreeing on these non-essential issues. And if you miss that point, you missed it all. If you're trying to figure out who's weak and who's strong and where, where you fit in, you've missed it all. The point is that you can still disagree and yet love one another and get along with one another. And I might add, this is not the same as the Galatians heresy. This is not the same as, the, as these Galatians who came, or the Judaizers who came along to the Galatian Christians and, and tried to put them back under a legal system to be saved. These are believers. These are Christians. These are not people who are, who are trying to work their way into heaven. Paul would never have dealt with it this way. He would have condemned them like he did the Judaizers in Galatians. You see, the real problem is not who's right or wrong. That's not the real problem. But the real problem is how to fellowship in harmony with those who see things differently than we do. Now, last week we looked at verses 1 through 12. And Paul's message basically there was to both the weak and the strong, and it's this, accept one another. Look at verse 1. Now, accept the one who's weak in the faith. Accept him. It means receive him into your fellowship. Don't send them away and say you ought to go to a legalistic church where they have your kind of people. You don't do that. You don't do that. You don't hope that they don't show up in your fellowship group because they just might make things uncomfortable for you. No, he says, accept one another who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. You don't let him in so that you can grapple with his, his weakness and you can straighten him out. No, you accept him in. You accept him. And then we looked at four reasons why, why we are to accept brethren who disagree with us. Why we are to, if we're strong, to accept the weak. And if they're weak, to accept the strong. Four reasons. We looked at this last week. Number one, God accepts him. Verse three, let not him who eats regards with contempt or regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has accepted him. The first reason we ought to accept one another is because God has accepted us. God hasn't made uh, it a rule that you have to uh, know your freedom before you can come to Christ. He hasn't done that. He hasn't accepted us and said the basis of your fellowship is that you, you are rule-oriented. No. He accepts us the way we are, and his fellowship with us is, is just the way we are. Secondly, we are to accept one another because we belong to the Lord. We don't belong to one another in this sense. Verse 4. Who are you to judge the servants of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The point being is, who are we to come around saying, you should do this, and you should do that, and you shouldn't do this? And you... 
We belong to the Lord. The Lord's our master. The church is not our master. I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what not to do. Nor can you tell me. To our own master we stand or fall. Number three, the third reason why we are to accept one another and not condemn one another, not judge one another, and not look down upon one another, and not call each other names like Pharisees or unspiritual or first step to being a liberal, that type of thing, is this. Because what we do, we do out of, out of sincere convictions and motives. Verse 6 speaks to, to this end. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. That is, the weaker brother, he's doing it for the Lord. He's not doing it to be cantankerous. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. We may disagree and have a different uh, perspective in terms of our conscience, what it will allow us to do, but at least we can appreciate that what we do, we do out of sincere motives. In the church at Rome, if someone said, I cannot eat that food, I would say, don't. You should, because this person is doing it unto the Lord. He's not doing it because he wants to anger you. And the person says, I can eat anything. Good. Fine. He is eating everything unto the Lord. He feels this is what the Lord would have him to do. See, these are non-moral issues. These are preferential issues. These are non-essentials. These are not moral issues. And then the fourth reason is the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 10 says this, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then he says in verse 12, So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. It means the Lord is the judge, not me. Not you. The Lord will do it. So why do we continue doing it? Now that's just a brief summary of what we looked at last week, but it will help you understand where we're going this week. The emphasis in these verses that we just very briefly looked at, and I hope you've seen this, is the master-servant relationship. Do you see that? He keeps speaking about that. To his own Lord he answers. We stand before the judgment seat. We please the Lord. We have these convictions. God accepts us. There is that vertical relationship there. He's the master. We're the servant. So why do you pick on, one, uh, on the master's servants? That's the point. But as he begins the second section here in verse 13, the emphasis shifts from the master-servant relationship to the brother-to-brother relationship. The brother-to-brother relationship. In verses 1 through 12, he is dealing with attitudes. In verses 13 through 23, he is dealing with activities or actions. And it balances out last week. Because Paul doesn't want us thinking, well, if you have freedom to do whatever you can do, then go ahead and do it. Paul didn't say that. And I didn't say that either. See, we just had a cut off last time because you don't want to be here for another hour. But if we had the time, we would have gone through and it would have made a lot of sense. And what he's going to deal with now is Paul is going to address the strong brother. He's not even dealing now with the weak brother and he won't touch upon the weak brother anymore in terms of directly addressing them. He's dealing now with the brother who knows that he's free in Christ and he can do any thing that the Bible doesn't forbid him to do. And he's addressing that brother. And what he is going to say to that brother is that the basic message is this. You are to love your weaker brother. You are to love those who, who have not grasped that they are totally free in Christ. You are to love them. And he gives four guidelines for loving the weaker brothers. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So if you're taking notes, the first truth that we want to look at or guideline is 
the principle of love. This is the broad principle of how love and liberty work together. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, this verse is connected with the last verse of the last section. It is a bridge from the last section and introduces the first one. Because the verse before this speaks of that of the fact that someday we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which I said last week is not a judgment for sin. It's a judgment for the way we have lived. It's, it's not even a judgment so much as it is a reward for the way that we lived or a lack of rewards if we have not been pleasing to the Lord. So if you put these two verses together, Paul is saying, since God is the judge, let's stop judging one another. Let's stop condemning one another. Instead, he says, if you must make judgments, make this kind of a judgment. Make a judgment on yourself and your actions so that you don't place a stumbling block in your weaker brother's path. That's what he's saying. If you must make some determinations, then determine not to cause anybody to stumble. If you're so inclined to making judgments, then judge yourself. Determine this. The great principle of love is that it doesn't use its liberty without first considering how it will affect others. I hope you see that. It doesn't flaunt its liberty. It doesn't say, I have liberty, therefore I'm going to do whatever I want because God says I'm free. No, love doesn't do that. Love says, how will it affect someone else? You see, the strong brother was condemning and criticizing the weak brother for being so immature and so legalistic and so rule-oriented. And he was looking down on that weak brother because his knowledge of his liberty was shallow. That's exactly what he was doing. Look at verse 3. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. You see this attitude in Christian circles all the time. People calling out Pharisees and legalists and all of this and name-calling and contempt and why don't you grow up and what... Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, stop condemning. Now, he uses two terms here in verse 13, the term obstacle and stumbling block. An obstacle would be something you trip over, something that would temporarily halt you. It would be falling into sin is what Paul is saying. Don't do anything that might cause your brother to fall into sin. And the, uh, the second thing he speaks of, is a stumbling block. That would be more of a, uh, of a trap. That was, a, that was the way they would trap animals. They would have a stick over it and the animal would come and it would spring the trap. And that would be more than a temporary halting. That would be really a problem. Someone would fall deeply into sin and would halt. Not just hinder his Christian progress. It would put it at a standstill. Paul is saying that there's something far more important than simply following your freedom and doing what you think you can do. You must determine never to injure your weaker brother in the use of your liberty. How could we trip up other Christians when we exercise the liberty we have in Christ? Well, Paul dealt with that very question in the following verse. Pastor Steve will get to that on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in Clearwater and looking for a church, I'd encourage you to try Lakeside. You'll find a friendly environment and great Bible teaching. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For more information, call 727-441-1714 or visit lakesidechapel.com. 
That's lakesidechapel.com or 727-441-1714. For information on Verse by Verse, visit versebyverseradio.org. There is a well-stocked message archive page where you can find all of our previous broadcasts, and there's no cost for streaming or downloading these files. In fact, tell your friends so they can listen too. And if Verse by Verse is blessing you and you'd like to become a part of our support team, we have a couple of options for you. One of them is on our website. It's the giving page where we offer a simple and secure means of giving. Or you can give by phone by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. And our web address once more is versebyverseradio.org. Thank you for your gifts and for your prayers. This is Jerry Peterson. I understand that when President Harry Truman or his wife Bess were traveling, he always set aside some time each day to write to her. His love for her affected his daily priorities. Our love for other believers should also affect our priorities, and that should move us to consider their spiritual welfare before exercising our rights and freedoms in Christ. Pastor Steve will consider how we make those kinds of decisions on the next Verse by Verse as he continues this short series about Christian liberty. I hope you can be here. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.com. There's a lot going on right now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the U.S. Use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.